read, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Everyone say simplicity. I don't know how far I'll get tonight because I got a lot, a lot of notes. Might be a two or three parter, but I want to preach on the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. Lord bless you. You may be seated. He's been called America's philosopher. There are currently more than 16 million copies of his books in print, published in 27 languages in 103 countries. But it all started when one of his essays, after running the gamut of copy machines and bulletin boards and refrigerator doors, made it home, taped to the back of a kindergarten student, to the backpack rather, and that student's mother just happened to be a successful literary agent in New York City. And by the time she was done with this thing that was taped to the back of the backpack, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten would be a number one seller on the New York Times for 43 weeks and remain on the list for 97 weeks. And Mr. Fulgham would be well on his way to writing seven best-selling titles. He struck a chord with people because he got back to the basics of life. These are some of the things from his book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in kindergarten, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, wash your hands before you eat, flush, Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some. And draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out in the world, watch for traffic, hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder, simplicity, things they teach you in kindergarten. How many remember the little seed in the plastic cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why, but we are all like that little seed. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little white seed in the plastic cup, they all die. And so do we. And then you remember the book about Dick and Jane and the first word you learn, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic 
sanitation, ecology and politics and sane living. Think what a better world it would be if we or even the whole world had cookies and milk and afternoon naps, etc. If we had a basic policy in our nation and other nations to always put things back where we found them and cleaned up our own messes. Simplicity. One could say that it's the simple things that we often take for granted. Yet those simple things, if followed, will lead us in the right direction. I want to talk tonight about the basics, the simple things. Webster said that basic means forming the base or the essence, constituting or serving as the starting point, fundamental. Basics are not complicated. They are simple, and in their simplicity lies their power. Deuteronomy chapter 30 Beginning with verse 11, for this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. As individuals and as a church, we have to make choices about what will be important to us. I can't control what you do, but as a person and as a pastor, I can control what I do. In fact, the Bible says has a phrase that's used several times, and that phrase is the phrase, as for me. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 1 Samuel 12, 23, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Psalm 5 and 7, but as for me, I will come into thy house and in the multitude of thy mercy. As for me, you've got to get to the point where you make a decision. It doesn't matter what others say or do. I've got to have this for me. I've got to, I've got to know where I stand. I don't want to be swayed to the right or to the left because the Bible says that as we get closer to the end of time, that every wind of doctrine is going to be flowing every which way. And the old saying says, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything, my friend. As for me. I can't control what others do. I can't control what others preach. 
But let me tell you about some things that I know in regards to the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel. Ephesians 4 and 4 says there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's simple. Let's talk about it. One body. John 17, 21 says that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. This is Jesus' final prayer request. And it is the only prayer that the church can pray. The church's greatest power lies in unity. In unity. Satan does his best work when he starts dividing people. Gets people to start turning against one another. It can be in the most subtle ways. The Bible talks about Satan as a roaring lion. And it talks about Satan as a subtle serpent. I'd rather deal with a roaring lion than a subtle serpent. Because that old lion I can see, that subtle serpent, it'll, it'll have a cunning spirit. And they'll try to spiritualize things but their motives are wrong. And it'll, it'll sound something like, can you believe pastor did that? Cunning. You know what that's trying to do is plant a little seed in somebody's mind. Cunning. And that old spirit will come and just drop a little nugget here. And let you chew on that for a little bit. And it'll get a bad spirit in you. Here's one. Can you believe Pastor has so many guest speakers? Y'all didn't see that one coming, did you? Let me give you a little heads up. I'm a human. And I gotta have preaching too. I don't want to get so busy giving you everything that I don't get fed. Amen. I ain't going to elaborate on that because y'all know I done hit something. If you have someone say something that says, starts with, can you believe? You just need, your antennas need to go up right there. They're trying to fish to see if you'll bite on something. The old cunning, cunning spirit. What is that? That's the enemy trying to sow disunity in the body. Trying to sow disunity. How, how, do, you, how do you shut that down? I'll tell you how. Let's just, I'm going to make up something that maybe so, somebody never said, okay? Let's just hypothetically say I painted this wall brown, okay? Because we know that wouldn't happen. And somebody said, can you believe he painted that wall brown? Here's how you shut it down. I love brown. 
I think that's the greatest color he could have ever picked. And you know what you just did? You shut the door. You shut the door. And I'm not saying you got to lie and say, because you may not like brown, but you got to be just as wise in your response to shut that door. Because anybody can just walk through it and start having a sling, slinging mud at everybody. What about prayer? Prayer is not as powerful if there's no unity. Unity is the very core. If you're unified in prayer, if you're unified in worship, if you're unified in your fellowship, then you are much stronger. But if there's no unity, you're not nearly as strong as what you can be. There's one body. Keep in mind, the UPC is not the body of Christ. I'm not bashing organizations. The ALJC is not the body of Christ. The WPF is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ are those that have been born again according to this book and live according to this book. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. The totality. The body of Christ does not know man-made boundaries. There's going to be people make it to heaven that some didn't think would make it. And there's going to be people that don't make it that some thought would make it. And so we've got to keep in mind that the body, we're, we're not fighting against organizations. Okay, I'm a member of the United Pentecostal Church. But above that, I'm a member of the kingdom of God. And that doesn't know man-made boundaries. And so, if we're not careful, look, I got 32 pages. There's no way I'm getting through all this tonight. If we're not careful, we'll allow a political mindset to cause division in the body of Christ. And, and we, we'll use the terms that, hey, I've done it. Conservative Liberal. That's, po that's political terms. Left and right. And look, when I was an evangelist, I preached whoever paid. I don't care where, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you stand. They invited me. I had to feed my family and I went and preached. I was not there to pastor the people. I was there to preach truth. I preached in places where I was, I stood out like a sore thumb. But you know what? We had people get the Holy Ghost. And I prayed that that pastor would lead them and, and, and the Holy Ghost lead them and guide them on their journey to heaven. And then I play, preached in places where breathing fast was a sin, just about. I preached truth as an evangelist. And where... I preached, it didn't matter where I preached, I knew where I stood. As for me, I knew where I stood. And so, you can't pigeonhole people and put them in a box and say, oh, they're liberal, they're conservatives, because then we start creating division in the body. 
Okay? Bible said if you start sorting out the wheat and the chaff, you'll damage some. Because it could be that if you give them time, they'll realize, hey, I need to get a little more in line with the word of God. And if you pull them prematurely, you rob them of the opportunity to correct the error of their ways. Amen. One body. Then there's one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. There are different styles, different tastes, different preferences in the body of Christ, but there's one spirit, and it's God's spirit. Now, I don't have a right to impose my spirit upon a church because I haven't saved anybody. But, the Holy Ghost, when we come to a service, the one thing that ought to be is that we let the Spirit of God have total liberty to minister in a service. It's one thing to have likes and music likes and preaching styles and all that kind of stuff, but the one thing that we have to have that, that is the same is the Spirit of the Lord. I've, in, in traveling, I've been to churches all kinds of music, all kinds of taste, all kinds of leadership, but same spirit, same spirit. There's something about the Holy Ghost that you can feel it. You know as soon as you walk in, hair will stand up. You'll get them chills. You'll just know that's the Holy Ghost. It is a universal spirit that regardless of where you go, Regardless of what they sing or what the building looks like, it's always the same. One spirit. One hope, Titus 2, 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews six nineteen. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. No matter how bad things get here on this earth, the one thing that anchors us is hope. It's hope. If you remove hope from living for God, you have nothing to live for. The hope is that I'm going to get to go to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. So if there's no hope of something on the other side, then we, may, we might as well not even do any of this stuff. The motivating factor is that there is a reward, okay? If you took your child who was just being a heathen and you took him to the store and you said, all right, now, if you behave, now we've all, we've all said that as parents, if you'll behave, we'll get you something. What'd you do? You put hope. You gave them some hope. They got something to look forward to. That's why you don't buy them their toy as soon as you walk in. You don't buy them the candy when you walk in. You give them hope. 
All right? And then when they start getting out of line, what do you do? Remember what I said. You dangle that hope in front of them again. And they make it all the way through the store. And you give them their reward. If you give them what you promised them at the beginning, they have nothing to motivate them to stay in line. That's why the Bible says he gave us the earnest of our inheritance. What's that mean? Earnest money. I'm going to give you a portion and I will pay you the rest on the other side. I'm going to give you a taste of what's to come. I'm going to give you just a, 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 a hint of what heaven's going to be like by putting my spirit within you. Friend, God knew what he was doing by giving us hope because when life gets crazy, we got something to keep us in line. We got an objective to keep our eyes on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Clap your hands unto the Lord. One Lord. Paul tells us that the Jesus we serve today is the same God who created, created everything from the beginning. Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. That's why Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Listen, we are not a Jesus-only church because that would ignore every role that he filled. But we are for sure a Jesus-name church. Hey, the Bible says there is one throne in heaven and there's gonna be one that sits on that throne and his name is Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful you know that name? Clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. What are you doing, pastor? I'm trying to break this thing down in the most simplistic manner because we can overcomplicate this thing. There's one faith. Sometimes the Bible speaks simply of faith, but other times it speaks of the faith. It's not just indicating belief, but the entire body of truth that we believe about Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1.23, Paul preached the faith which once he destroyed. 1 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says that you can deny the faith. 1 Timothy 5 and 8, I mean, excuse me, 6 and 10, you can err from the faith. 2 Timothy 3 and 8, you can be reprobate, reprobate concerning the faith. You can stand fast in the faith. You can examine yourself whether you are in the faith. 
Bible speaks of coming to the unity of the faith. Be grounded and settled in the faith. Be established in the faith. Be sound in the faith. Keep the faith. And Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Hear me when I tell you, it does matter what you believe. It does I've heard people say, well, what happens if somebody's baptized in the name of Jesus, but they don't believe that there's one God or they believe in three gods? Baptism's only effective if you believe in the name of Jesus and have faith in the name of Jesus. It matters if you don't know what you believe. How will you be able to spot false doctrine? That's why we've got our Sunday school departments and I'm sure parents you've worked with your children and we're instilling in them scripture, basics, Old Testament, the Old Testament, New Testament books of the Bible, the disciples of Jesus, different scriptures because we've got students coming out of high school that can't quote three verses. They can't quote Acts 2.38. How are they going to be able to make it through college when they are bombarded by ungodly professors and ideologies and they don't know what they believe? We've got to know this is what we believe. I'm not mad. I'm concerned because I have seen far too many college students get mixed up with false doctrine. False ideologies by liberal professors, godless academics. It's one thing to shelter them right here. But when they get out there and they start rubbing shoulders with, with these professors, they'll open their spirits up to the wrong thing if they're not careful. They got to know what they believe. Let me just tell you this. Everybody's not going to heaven. I'd love it. I'd love it if I could say that. Everybody's not. But the world wants to tell you there is. In fact, a lot of them say there's no heaven, no hell. We got to know what we believe. There's one baptism. There is no such thing as optional baptism. There is no instance in the Bible as a Christian where there was a Christian who was not baptized. John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says that there is only one baptism. So if there's only one right way to be baptized, then what is it? Well, you got to be immersed in water. That's the mode. Because Jesus, who was our example, was immersed. And every baptism in the Bible was immersion. Because that's precisely what the word baptism means. It is the most accurate portrayal of a burial and a resurrection. So the mode is in water immersed. The formula is in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Every baptism in Acts was performed in Jesus' name. The day of Pentecost, Peter said, Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The Samaritans in 8.16 were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The house of Cornelius in Acts 10.48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. The disciples of John in Acts 19 and 5 were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul in Acts 22 and 6, and now why carriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Friend, if there was another way to be baptized, then it would be in this book. But the only way in this book is in immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. I touched on it on Sunday. The reason we do not do infant baptism is because infants don't have an understanding, number one, and they don't know how to exercise their free will. The freedom of choice. Salvation is about choice, not force. I could come by and just start throwing water on each of you and even calling on the name of the Lord and it wouldn't be effective because it was forced upon you. But when they get to that age, when they have a recognition of their sins, they have an understanding and an awareness that I'm lost and I need to be saved. And they voluntarily go down in that water in the name of Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. And that shows God that they are desiring salvation. Amen. The Bible's taught, or excuse me, the epistles teach baptism in the name of Jesus. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans 6 and 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Colossians 1 and 12, were buried with him in baptism. Jesus is the only name with power to save. There's no other name that has the saving power. That's why the Bible said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You better make certain today that you understand if I'm going to be saved, it's going to be because the name of Jesus is applied to my life. Not because I went to a church, not because I gave a bunch of money, not because of who my family was, but because somewhere along the way, I may say I was born again of water and of the Spirit. I went down in that grave of baptism and the name of Jesus was applied to my life. This is a oneness church. In case you're wondering, one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. It is all too easily, too easy, unknowingly and for apparently good reasons to miss the purpose of God in any generation. 
I want you to know tonight that the objective of living for God is not just to make it to heaven, but to be a witness of the power of God to other people. Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 6 and 7, one translation says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The narrative contained between Acts 1 and 8 and Acts 6 and 7 covers about 10 years. But there's a lesson that it's going to teach us that if we're, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miss it. And that's this. Blessing is not a sign of God's favor. Obedience to God's word is the only way to please God. We throw a word or, or we throw around the word blessed too liberally. Because we judge God's blessings by what we see. Okay? God is not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of principles. Things that he has established in his word that he is bound to. For instance, the law of the harvest. Whatever you sow, you reap. All right? That's not a Pentecostal principle. That's a principle that God established that's universal. And so you could have someone, I'm just making something up, just live like the devil, but knows how to give. And because they know how to give, God says, I've got I've to honor my word. And I'm going to bless what they sow, sowed. And you'll see stuff, things, material stuff. And if you're not careful, you'll start going, well, my goodness. I know how they live. And look at everything they got. Hold it. Hold it. That's not a sign of God's approval. That's not God saying I'm condoning their behavior. And they can, that, that's not what that is. God's obligated by his word to honor his principles. But you'll become disillusioned. What that writer said, my feet were well nigh slipped when I started looking at the prosperity of the wicked. You know what was happening? He was getting disillusioned. He started looking around and saw all this stuff that everybody had and he knew how they were living. And he started thinking that God was putting his stamp of approval upon those people's lives. And he said, you know what got me back into alignment? I got in the sanctuary. 
I went to that place of fellowship with God and God somehow reminded me don't look at the things of this world don't get disillusioned with people don't you start thinking that you gotta be like them and have what they have you obey my word and that's where you'll find that approval from God you walk in the truth of his word Amen. Stand with me. We'll have to hear part two down the road. The simplicity. The simplicity of the gospel. Master, which is the greatest commandment? He said, Here is the Lord our God is one Lord. But he said the second just as you could come. The second is likened to it. And I've used this analogy before. Hanging a picture. Anybody can put that first nail in the wall. If it's a picture that takes two nails, you need to pray first. You need to pray first. I need to pray. We'll put it like that. Anybody, Brother Wayne, that first nail's the easy one. And anybody can come to an altar, repent of their sins, be filled with the Holy Ghost, baptize in Jesus' name, and start living for the Lord. First nail. Love God. But he said, the second is like unto it. And then he said, on these two, hang all the law and the prophets, which that's what they had at that time. What he was saying is, the word of God hangs on these two. That second nail, that's the one that requires a lot of prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've moved stuff on the wall because I, if you were to take that picture off with the black, you'd see one nail that was good. Then you'd see a bunch of holes in the wall because that second nail gave me a lot of problems. It's not enough to love God before the Holy Ghost and believe this truth. That's not enough. Our relationship with people. Our relationship with the lost. Our passion for souls. That's the second nail. And it takes both of them for this to work like it's supposed to work. And I'm not going to preach the rest of my message tonight. But just know this gospel is about not just being saved. It's about bringing other people with us. The first two letters of the gospel. Go. Go. I don't want to stand before God and Him ask me, how many did you bring with you? And me say, just me. do that. I want people to 
say, God, I'm standing right here because he brought me. Because he loved me enough not to just tell me the way. Show me the way. Amen. If that's your